We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And it was a productive and eventful weekend for Lakers as they get a pair of wins to move their record to 5-5 five and five after 10 games. Uh, we had a starting lineup change. Cam Reddish gets the start. Austin Reeves goes to the bench. And both guys play very well in their respective roles over the course of the weekend. Lakers start out on... Friday, getting another comeback win against the underachieving Suns. And then on Sunday, come back from their four-game road trip, LeBron does not play. I thought it was a better win than it appears to be on the surface, and I'll get into some of the reasons why a little bit later. But Mike, it was good to close out the road trip with the win. We were dangerously close to an 0-4 uh, roadie. And then uh, those you know, first games back from a road trip are always a little bit tricky, but Lakers uh, find a way to pull it out. Anthony Davis really put his thumb on the scale in the second half of that game. And Lakers got some, I think, good practice in without LeBron. That's one thing I was texting you guys before the game. Like, this is going to be a tougher game than I think we might expect, even though Portland's missing several of their perimeter guys, in part because we have had a devil of a time scoring with LeBron off of the floor. And Lakers got a lot of reps of that, got 41 minutes of AD. He was a plus 17. Give us your thoughts from a 2-0 weekend, Mike. To start in Phoenix and just the the amount of, the degree to which things shifted in that fourth quarter, you know, based on how the road trip had been going and then, you know, to go from what would have been a four straight loss to outscoring the Suns, where it ended up being, I think, 33 to 23. And the three point shots just finally starting to fall. Cam Reddish hitting three of his five in that quarter uh, and Christian Wood adding one, Rui adding one. The steals that were coming, uh, it, I think Rui had two of his four steals in the fourth quarter. Radish and LeBron both had a steal. So that was just a, a massive quarter, not only for uh, how it sets up the in-season tournament, which if the Lakers just win their home games, uh, they are essentially secured of winning the group. Because if, uh, and this would, well, here, I won't get into tiebreaker scenarios for the in-season tournament yet. I, you know I want to. Yes. I can see you guys looking. I know you, you know that I want to. I'll put that Maybe to the I'll side for now. Mike after. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, we got one more tomorrow. On Tuesday, right. game two. Okay. So, we'll get to it. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. uh, so they, so that was big. And I think that that was a, they found a couple of things. Of course, the lineup switch is the biggest thing. And I'm sure we'll talk plenty about that. The starting lineup switch to put Reddish in and Reeves to the bench. And then I think we, we had discussed that when LeBron, the way that LeBron was talking after the game about how the shin was still sore to that degree, I think we all thought it might be a, a possibility that he would miss the game against Portland. And this is a good reminder that the Lakers don't have to be terrible uh, when LeBron sits. And there was a part, and Pete, you just alluded to this, but there was Anthony Davis. I sent you guys this stat. Like there, there were a lot of games last year where the Lakers were just fine when LeBron didn't play because of Anthony Davis and other players kind of stepping up around it. And they have that in them. And we, we got hints of that when AD was on the floor as a plus 17 against Portland. And the team was really awful when he sat uh, in that game, which is how you have some like minus 11s for the guys off the bench uh, in a, in a game that they win by six. So just a, there are encouraging pieces out of this weekend that I think the Lakers can build on, uh, even though they're, they still have some time that they're going to need to get there. Darius. It's interesting to me because I was sort of frustrated during the Portland game to a certain extent. I thought that there was not enough attention to detail by the non-AD groups for sure. And Darvin spoke to this after the game. But even in the first half, some of the groups that included AD, they were just not playing with enough um, focus and attention to detail and enough pace. Right. And I think that the pace was lacking both offensively and defensively. Um, Portland's guards and the Lakers were doing some interesting stuff defensively where they were playing at the touch for at like at the level of the screen in terms of like um their big guys mm-hmm. so AD and Hayes and Wood playing very high it's just like did they forget Damian Lillard's not on the team anymore like mm-hmm. this isn't necessarily the style you have to play against these guys like I would have loved to have seen some of their guards like step into a couple of off the dribble threes instead they were creating open corner three after open corner three like they took 18 corner threes yeah. last night and a bunch of them were open well, and part part of that d was game plan right and this is part of the reason why i was like this is a little bit of a better win than you might expect so for the second time in two years matisse Tybel, who he hit as many threes in the first half as the lakers did the entire game <laughs> and when the guys that you game game plan for like we're gonna sag off of them make threes like Heath their big guy off of the bench took eight threes in like 11 minutes in part because we're like go ahead you know and and pop here it is yep yeah and so when when the guys that you game plan for and like one of Tybal's threes was was like a buzzer beater uh toward the end of the second quarter at the top of the key another one was one where Rui actually did close out to him decently and he still hit it and so those are ones where it's like you know you kind of live with that to to a degree and I really like Skyler Mays so I just wanted to throw that in there too the Portland game was a very gritty game by the Blazers I just thought that the Lakers in the first half were not as responsive to what Portland was actually doing. And it was allowing the Blazers to play in a comfortable flow and rhythm. And these are NBA players. It's just like you give them too many wide open looks. And guess what? Like those are going to go in. And but in the second half, I thought it was very similar to the Phoenix game in that AD came back against the Suns after the hip spasm stuff had cost him the Houston game. In that first half, AD looked very much like he did in the first half against the Suns. 
which was like a little bit lethargic, a little bit not sure about all of his movements. Um, a lot of walking into defensive possessions where it's just like, okay, I'm going to track this, but I'm not going to play at full speed. And in the third quarter, he really started to put his foot on the pedal a little bit more. And you always know with AD because when he's filling middle lane, in transition and not as a trailer. Austin had that great wraparound bounce pass to him. And mm-hmm. Austin's going to get a lot of credit for the pass as he should. It was a great look, but that play is there is because AD's sprinting yep. center lane. And that's not something he does every possession, but he was doing much more of that in, in uh, the second half. And so I just thought, AD again showed where it's just like, oh, well, when you want to play at this level, you can be the focal point and really carry a team. And just to go back to the Suns Suns game, I was listening to another podcast this morning and apparently the Suns are like their fourth quarter is like the Lakers first quarter. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they're a disaster in fourth quarters. They're like a minus 61. We're a big part of the reason for that, though. We put a lot of that minus on them. They were minus 13 or minus 10 Mm -hmm. in their loss last night, too. So so it's like, yes, so. It comes with not being very good. Sorry, this is the part where if you get your ass completely kicked for a full quarter and you get outscored by 20, then, yeah, then, like, your net rating is going to be, for basically the entire sample that we're up to so far, is going to be skewed. (laughs) But for sure, uh, the Lakers alone, it's been a, what, a 20-point gap? Um, I think in those two fourth quarters combined, or actually, is it 30? It's, yeah, it's yeah, closer it like 20, to 30. 28 to 11. Yeah, it's like 28 points or something like that. It, so it was great to see the Lakers show. There's a there's a certain amount of resiliency in both of these, these games that I want to give credit to the Lakers for. I wish that they were as attentive and as disciplined as they needed to be over the course of the full game because they might be able to get AD a little bit more rest or get LeBron a little bit more rest. Like those guys were pushing hard down the stretch of both of these games to come up and win, but credit them for getting these wins. They need these wins. Like the difference between five and five and three and seven, which they could have been three and seven after both of those games. It's it's just like, these are important games and it's important team building moments. And I appreciated Darvin Mike post game sort of just talking about like, like we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Like I want these guys taking these shots. Like it was mostly in response to the questions about the Lakers poor shooting. But Darvin basically saying like the rhythm's not quite all the way there yet, but we're getting closer. And, and I can appreciate that sentiment. The guys played hard in the moments and in the stretches that they really needed to in order to flip the game in their favor. Credit to the Lakers for coming together in the moments they needed to. Let's take a break here. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the shot creation from our guards in particular with LeBron out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that fourth quarter stretch where the Lakers lost the lead against Portland, um, they had a really, really strong third quarter and closed it with a, a double-digit lead, but gave a lot of it away in the first three, four minutes of the fourth. And a big part of that, Austin spoke to this, Mike, in response to a question that you asked him. In the fourth quarter, he was talking about how Portland started switching one through five. And that's something that in basketball – when you switch your defensive look, oftentimes you can get a short-term benefit, right? Because the plays and type of actions that work against, say, a drop coverage are different than the ones that work against a switch. And so at the beginning of that fourth quarter, the Lakers had Austin and D'Lo as the guards and shot creators, as they should, especially with LeBron out, right? And AD is on the bench and Portland starts switching everything one through five. And the way that our guards look to attack, and this has been a theme throughout the year, has been kind of one-on-one, right? It's like, oh, you've switched your big onto me. I'm going to try to attack them in space. But with the reduced spacing of the five-out spacing uh, on the perimeter and the fact that neither D'Lo nor Austin are really like, I'm going to blow by you and get to the rim one-on-one type of guys, that leads to a lot of like tough pull-up jumpers that are contested. And so the Lakers end up giving up a run that was largely as a result of their offense, right? A lot of defense to offense scores for Portland in this stretch. They call timeout and they they get AD back in, which by far and away is the biggest factor into this. But one thing that they really started looking to do, and Austin spoke to this in the same quote, was like, hey, if they're going to switch like that, we've got advantages with AD in the post. And that's not just true of AD, but I would argue that that's something the Lakers can get better at with Christian Wood, with Rui Hachimura, that these are guys that when they have size mismatches in the post, um, that they can really take advantage of that. And we still have a ways to go in terms of uh, leveraging post touches, but that to me is the we have some complications against switches, and the post is a, the is a much better route I think to success for us than out on the perimeter. Even Mike, we saw Grayson Allen was sometimes intentionally matched up against LeBron, and he'd be on the post and or on the elbow, you know, in the high post, and it was just like. It was free food, you know, and and that to me, Mike, was part of this weekend was like, we've got some cool stuff we can do in the post and some late game offense that we can kind of beat the switches that have been vexing us. So that's part of my encouragement from this weekend is that I think we found a little bit of switch busting that we that we can do. I'm trying to think of somewhere that I should go aside from just talking Anthony Davis uh, in this context. And, And certainly there are other there are other areas that you can do it. But like, I love that he took 12 free throw attempts and you know even though he wasn't particularly efficient like that was part of the reason because he was getting into those situations where you know portland didn't really have any other option and i in the same context of watching that i'm watching deandre ayton and just just kind of rolling my eyes you know probably like phoenix did all of last season and just the lack of pop and the lack of effort that i think 
um, at, and AD hasn't been tagged with this in the same way, but just the lack of appreciation, I suppose, getting back to, to what Anthony Davis does, even when he wasn't particularly sharp in that first half, but he was still kicking ass in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, he, like Portland was doing the bulk of their damage on tough mid-range floaters and runners and then just threes. Uh, and like they didn't really get to the free throw line. They only took nine free throws for the most time. And to me, a lot of that is Anthony Davis. Like that's if you're going to beat the Lakers when he's out there for 41 minutes, it's going to be by hitting a bunch of threes and just getting a bunch of shots to fall in that area where he's lurking but can't quite get to because of his other responsibilities. And I know I've, I've taken this point off track a little bit, but AD, just AD alone, just spamming him and, and always remembering what advantage that he has against most NBA lineups is just to, to me a critical thing to, rem, to remind uh, the Lakers, to have them remind themselves of whether LeBron's out or even when he gets back. It's it hopefully not something that gets forgotten. Well, one of the things that Portland was doing too, Pete, is that in order to enable their switches is they were putting Jeremy Grant on whoever was the lead ball handler. And so... They had Grant on D'Lo, and then they had Grant on Austin when Austin replaced D'Lo. Denver does this all the time with Aaron Gordon, right? It ends up in a spot where it's like, hey, you're okay with Jeremy Grant guarding AD. Yeah. You could do worse than that, right? And you're okay with Jeremy Grant guarding the ball handler. He's that versatile yeah. defender that can do both. Yes, but if you rewind to the 2020 postseason when the Lakers beat the Nuggets, it was Jeremy Grant trying to defend Anthony Davis in the post when the Lakers were playing those those two big lineups. And AD kicked Grant's ass. And last night, he did it again when he had the opportunity to. Like, I wrote this in my recap for Lakers.com, but it's just like AD led. He had, he had a game high in points. I think he had a game high in rebounds. So he had 30 points and 13 rebounds, and he had six assists, right? The critical sequence of the game was Tori and Prince had that great hustle play where it's just like, speaking of rolling your eyes about Aiton, right? The ball gets poked away. Yeah. It's going to be a backcourt violation. The ball is in reach of Aiton if he just basically gets on his horse a little bit and goes to grab it just to enact the violation, right? It's just like, we're going to, we know it's going to be a violation, but this is actually a free ball. He wasn't paying attention and Prince, Torian Prince saw it and he's just like, oh, I'm sprinting right now to try to go get this ball. But Aiton wasn't, he was oblivious to, to all of it. So he's letting the ball roll and it's just like, okay, almost like a third baseman who's watching the ball roll. It's just like, is it going to go foul? Is it going to go foul? And then it like stays in play and suddenly like the rudders at first and he's just super laughing. Well, although. Although that that does that can be the smart play in baseball when you can't get the guy out no matter what because sure. it was his but in this case it's just pure lethargy. Yeah, yeah. I was so yeah. mad. It's funny. I was like mad at the end of the game last night, like cussing out just the NBA in general because of that play. And then Portland, like they're down like three or whatever, and they're just they're so casual. It's like it's an end game situation. Come on, like turn it up. So to make a long point longer, Prince. <laughs> scoops that ball up and goes and gets a layup and he puts the Lakers up by five, right? And so that looked like a critical play in order to really like reestablish the Lakers in the lead. Like next possession down though, Jeremy Grant 
he gets a corner three or two possessions later. He hits a corner three and now it's a two point lead and there's two minutes and 20 seconds left. And it's sort of like, which way is this going to go? Like Portland has had the momentum this quarter. And even though Prince tried to take it back, it didn't really last on three consecutive possessions. AD gets, they run a pick and roll with Austin and, and AD and Grant gets switched on to AD. AD battles for some post post position, but he gets a mid post touch. He shoots a fadeaway over for Grant. He buries it. Grant tries to come back and make a three himself in order to try to reestablish momentum. AD goes to one of those top of the square, like defensive rebounds. He clears the defensive rebound and then Lakers have the ball, right? Next possession down, offensively then, AD, they go to AD in the post again, and Portland's just like, not this time. We're double teaming you right away. And AD hits Rui, same side cut, dive, left-hand layup, Lakers are up six, and it's just like, there it is. So like over the span of a three possession seek like like sequence, AD put his fingerprints all over the clutch moments of the game in order to basically seal seal the contest. And so when you talk about switching, Pete, to bring it back to to this idea, the Lakers need to go to AD more in general. But if the antidote to beat the Lakers guards up is to say we're comfortable switching bigger players on to you because we don't feel like you have the juice to get by mm-hmm. us, those guards then need to be aware that this is a strategy against them yep. and look to feed the ball in to the post. D'Lo, on one possession, he was like trying to shake and shake and shake like he had run a pick and roll with Rui. And mm-hmm. so Rui's man got switched on to him and there's D'Lo like between his legs, hezzy, cross, hezzy, cross. And it's just like, there's nothing there. And right at the last me- second, he sh- he shot a quick little bounce pass to Rui, who had sealed underneath yes. the basket, and Rui got a layup. And Beautiful it's just pass. like, we, they should be looking for that more often, right? And, and like that's the avenue for the Lakers. Their strength is in their big guys, and we've been saying it all season, but their bigger, more physical players are the ones who are going to punish the opposition in ways around the basket that their guards no longer can. There is no Dennis Schroeder on this team anymore that's going to mismatch hunt mm-hmm. against bigs and get to to the basket there is no lonnie walker who's got all that down that that downhill force like they need to find it some somewhere and i think it's going to be through their their bigger forwards mm-hmm. and their big guys just pete the, the name that we probably i would be remiss not to mention here right. either is Rui hachimura who was again a plus 17 yeah. against portland six to ten from the field he had a really good game in phoenix he had four steals and remember in the preseason and early in the first game or two it didn't seem as locked in on the defensive end or rebounding and, and he's missed the four games and he's he's looked more like the player that we saw in the playoff run to me these last couple. Rui was fantastic last night. He's getting a ton of deflections right now. I love his kind of ground game defensively and how he's reading off ball situations. The game against Houston where everybody else was terrible, I thought he had a really good passing game and he's just kind of been making reads that I think are are really strong. And speaking of making reads that are really strong, D'Angelo Russell had 20 assists to two turnovers over the course of the weekend. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk some D'Lo. So 
there was a stretch in that second quarter, especially. Um, Lakers were this close to having their first halftime lead of the season. What a strange year. We always have strange seasons. Uh, this close uh, and not quite, but D'Lo was just picking guys apart. And the we were talking about when teams are switching against us and kind of the advantage that is, we have down low as a result of that. But when they're not, and or when they can't, it's usually when they have a big, slower-footed type of guy. So with Phoenix, it's either Nurkic or Eubanks. Um, and if it's uh, the Blazers, then it's DeAndre Ayton, right? And that D'Lo is navigating those sequences so well, Darius, where he's reading the – he's starting to learn like the angles. He's snaking pick and rolls better. Um, they don't always end in – you know, some the, the worst possessions end in kind of a contested mid-range jumper from him. But I thought that our game plan last night, it's part of the reason we took an absurdly low number of three-point attempts, was that all like – we want to get to the rim. They know it. We know it. But they can't really stop us if we have a little bit of patience on it. And I thought D'Lo made a ton of passes into the interior, in which of which that pass to Rui that you were talking about was one of them that really like leveraged the advantage down there and did so in a way that he didn't turn the ball over, you know, more than twice all weekend. And so, talk to me about what you saw as kind of D'Lo the orchestrator this weekend. He's just such a wonderful passer. It's, it's one of the things that doesn't get discussed enough, I think, when talking about his his floor game. Um, D'Lo can be a frustrating player at times because of that tendency to drift towards like the mid-range jumper that's contested because he can always get, get it off. D'Lo is not Kevin Durant size, but he can take those same type of like pull-up shots with a defender that's close by because... D'Lo has all of those. He can lean left or right and he can fade and he's got the high release and he's a lefty. And so guys aren't always necessarily used to contesting a left handed jumper, but it's his passing Pete and his passing feel and his passing timing. There are so many passes that he's made over the last couple of games where it's like you really have to have an anticipatory feel for where guys are going going to be. I've talked a lot about passing guys open. Um, D'Lo hits windows with his passing where it's just like, this is where the ball has to go in order for my guy to make a catch. You talked about the pass to Rui that we were mentioning earlier. He had this great pass to AD in the Suns game where AD had sort of slithered behind Nurkic and he dropped that pocket bounce pass when Nurkic was like Nurkic had like opened up to well to the ball, but AD slipped behind him to the baseline side, and D'Lo just dropped in that bounce pass right there for him for that quick bucket, and that was a super important stretch. D, we were down by ten. LeBron had just gone out of the game, and all season long we cannot score with these groups, and so that could have been that three and six very easily. But that group actually played the best offense that it had, and that's why part of the reason why I'm excited about this. Uh, this weekend is that we showed some things finally on the offensive end and that play was the start of it. That was also a kitchen sink lineup, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that like a coach will do if you have an offensive player who is so integral to your success, the way that LeBron has been this year is that guy goes to, to the bench. What do the, what should the lineups look like offensively? And it's just like, well, Every good offensive player yeah. we have now is going to be in that lineup yeah. in order to compensate for the fact that we don't have our our engine, right? And so 
having D'Lo and Austin and AD all in the game at the same same time, that's what can help lift up an offensive unit when you don't have a LeBron to be like, oh, well, I can just call out everything, right? But D'Lo as a passer, and I want to integrate the lineup change to this part of the discussion too, because Austin, I feel like his usage and feel within the flow of the game as a starter was suffering because D'Lo was was absorbing more of the usage and LeBron has not been operating as much as an off-ball worker, quote unquote, as a big as much this season. And so Austin was dropping down in the pecking order a little bit. And then along with like, so him sort of searching for where his spots are and like, the new alignment within the offense, I don't really think that he had found his his rhythm as much. And so D'Lo has been, I think, playing to his strengths very well. And he's been very successful both as a passer and as a two-point scorer. His three-point shot is not there yet. Uh, but all of the passing and stuff. So A, do you agree with me that like part of the move to Austin going to the bench wasn't just to sort of rebalance the lineups in terms of adding more defense and getting more strength and size with Cam in that first five. I think it was a way of staggering Austin and D'Lo in a more deliberate and natural way so that both of those guys can have more opportunity to play to, to their strengths. And I think we've seen that from Austin as well against Portland, especially. Yeah, I think that's right on. So D'Angelo Russell has basically mirrored his 17 games that he came over uh, after the all-star break almost explicitly uh, from in terms of his production 17.4 points last year 17.3 this year it's been coming a little bit differently in that he's hitting more of his mid-range jumpers because he's not hitting his three russell's at 29 percent from three um, which seems low right relative to just how you watch him out there and it usually looks good when it's going up but other than a few air balls so he's he hasn't really found the range there yet, but overall, uh, his production assisted turnover is about the same. Uh, all of that. And in fact, his assisted turnover is a little bit better. It's like 6.9 to 1.9, which is really good. So I think that in the starting lineup, Austin and D'Lo, we didn't talk as much about the, the small backcourt defensively, which has been one of my lifelong NBA pet peeves, in part because of, well, not in part, mostly because of Anthony Davis, who was just incredible last year, and then also because Jared Vanderbilt at the three was able to cover up a lot in terms of point of attack and taking the best perimeter threat and so on. So you could kind of get away with it. But when Vanderbilt's been out that it just, it's was so stark in so many games, how yeah. the Lakers, especially Pete, when you put Torian Prince in, who is not a, a physical in terms of like girth and acreage and just size uh, three, like he's better suited to the two um, in that sense, he doesn't rebound. So I think it just became, it was too much to have those three playing yeah. together. And we have talked about this and maybe Christian Wood is the solution, et cetera. It ends up being Cam Reddish. But I think that Austin got pinched in this situation where if, if, if we would have had to pick, or let me, let me just speak for myself. I think that Austin is still the third best player on the team. Um, and I still think that, that Austin, if I were having to pick five guys that I wanted out there, he would be one of them. But I think that, the way that Austin is able to and willing to adapt some um, is different from how I think Russell's game is very, this is how I'm going to play. And that's, and he's, he's not going to be deterred from that. And I think Austin will be deterred from that sometimes to his own detriment. And it it's a little bit like if you want to use the Spurs example that Darvin Ham did, 
Well, Tony Parker is going to play the way that Tony Parker plays in the starting lineup. He's he's going to penetrate. He's going to take a certain number of shots. He's going to call for screens from Tim Duncan. Like he's not going to necessarily always be just worried about what Ginobili's usage is and where Ginobili is on the court. And so it made sense, and especially defensively, it made sense to stagger them. And that, you know, that in some ways I think is hard for a player to take as Austin, I thought very thoughtfully put out after the Phoenix game. And he's like, look, guys, like, no, I want to start, you know, but I, I was taught at a certain age by my parents, the coach. And so all of this, all of this, though, where does it end up? And, and, and what does it mean long term? Uh, we, we can get to that, Pete. Maybe maybe you want to comment on the specifics of it, of where we're at right now first, uh, before we look into kind of season long and, and the trend and Austin and D'Lo together versus what happens when Vanderbilt comes back, for example? Yeah, no, I, I but yeah, let's talk about the the short term. And to your comment about Austin being the third best player on the team, I tend to agree. I also thought Lamar Odom was the third best player on a championship team, and he came off the bench, right? I think that one thing that Austin being on the bench does is provide more ball handling that we are, it's easy to kind of overlook, but with Dennis being gone and Gabe Vincent being out, those groups, those bench groups with AD, part of the reason why they've struggled is just the initial shot creation, right? You've got five good scorers on the floor, but there's nobody really kind of breaking the defense on uh, to create the advantage in the first place. And so I really like Austin in the AD only groups with LeBron off. And I really like Austin in the groups with LeBron, with AD off. And I think that one thing we've also seen is Dilo had this 20 assist, two turnover weekend. He didn't close either game and he's cheering his ass off for his teammates on the bench, right? And so Austin was the closing point guard. And I thought that was a super interesting twist to this. And so in the absence of Dennis, in the absence of Gabe, right, uh, that those groups just needing more guard play. And like you said, that kitchen sink, I think that's the way, D, is that if LeBron's not going to be on the floor, you need your other shot creators on the floor to create enough offense. And I also want to throw uh, Cam Reddish out there. We'd be remiss to not talk about him before we we end the pod. Uh, but his level of like ball pressure and ball denial, I'm working on a video on him right now, and athleticism, he can put pressure in a way that the combined force of D'Lo, Austin, and Prince, which I think Mike is spot on, is it's more not about any individual player, but about that trio having difficulties in that respect. Cam flips that a little bit, right? on Against, uh, against Phoenix, he was on Beal, and it was Prince on KD, and Reddish got some on-ball deflections and had some ball denial, and there's just like a level of pressure. He's stealing inbounds passes and all of that. So I wanted to, to say that regarding you know the shot creation with the bench, but also Cam, man. Cam was fantastic. So take that where you want to go, D. Yeah, just one more point on on Austin. I thought he was great at pushing the tempo and really offering a change of pace as a bench guard. He got a Cam made one three. Um, oh, that this was past game, nice play. Yeah, that drop and off fast, off, and and it came off of Austin getting a defensive rebound and just pushing the hell out out of the ball. He got out in front, and Cam was trailing, and then he just. Simple dribble pitch back to a trailing Cam, and Cam stepped right into a three-pointer, and and he buried it. And so I thought the pace in which Austin was operating in both in transition and early offense, but also in the half court, he came sprinting off a couple of ball screens and just really looking to penetrate. He got middle off of a ball screen with, with AD where he really looked – 
to turn the corner and threaten the paint. And then he threw that over the head lob to AD that wasn't like a great pass, but he threw it to where AD could catch it, gather and then finish. And that again, like that's uh, that's an important action to try to get both Austin and AD to spots on the floor where where they can be successful in pivoting to Cam. 100% this starting lineup needs his defense. Like LeBron is not at the level defensively in which I think the team needs him to be yet at this point. Like, and Mike's been making this, this point since, since the summer that it's just like the ask on LeBron can't be so high and the expectations even of what he's going to do on a possession to possession basis can't be we can't hold him to the same to the same standard that we did in 2019 or 2020, right? And so the the neither Prince nor D'Lo nor Austin are good enough athletes, just baseline athletes, to be like, hey, we're gonna have you like do all of this stuff and be like this ball pressure guy. Like Prince is the best out out of that group, but even he's not going to be this quick twitch. I'm a supreme athlete. Cam is that dude. And he has these these cat-like instincts and reflexes, Pete. Like the way that he navigates screens even is like super interesting where he sort of like darts and jumps and dips his shoulder and then gets, and, 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 and just sort of like, I don't know if he he's sort of like a punt returner at times, uh-huh, the like the way stuff, that like yeah. a yeah that like a Devin Hester yeah. would be, where it's just like oh here comes a guy, it's like jump cut this way. Mm-hmm. I'm and and then suddenly I'm in a passing lane, and like he baits guys in to throwing a pass, and then suddenly he's there, and it's it's just a needed element for this team with this group right now without Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vando does a ton of that stuff. Totally. And so to put Prince in there and then to listen to him talk post game where he's basically just like these guys are breathing life in to me like it's not just LeBron. All of them are rooting for me. All of them are telling me to play my game, to be ready. And that and you could tell that that encouragement means something to him. And then he's talking about like we're trying to do something here. We're trying to win. And that's not true everywhere just remember like last season after his trade to the blazers the blazers were outright tanking right game game was basically healthy and they sat him right and so what do you think that looks like to cam in comparison to what this team is trying to do this season, right? It's like night and day. And so is Cam now going to be this relevatory player where it's just like, oh my goodness, like this is the guy that they I'm not ready to go there yet, but I had advocated for Cam during the summer. And honestly, he put me off of that early, like during the preseason and how he played early in the season based off of how he was like trying to do too much with the ball. And he was a little bit unfocused. And it's just like, okay, like you're playing like the same dude who has been traded four different times and been on five teams in four seasons. Right. But this more channeled version of him where he gets to play more to his style and leverage his physical strengths and how those fit within this this 
this group. It's only a couple of games, but I've been super happy for him to watch him play to uh, the level he has, Mike. Just a real quick thought on on Reddish. He he deserves credit. Uh, I think the, the Lakers, the coaches, the front office, everybody deserves credit because, as Darius said, when we watched him in the preseason and then the first couple of games, he just kind of looked like the same Cam Reddish from the last couple of years. The net rating wasn't there, but they've kind of you know, doggedly stuck by, Hey, we think there are some things that he can do uh, well. And he has. And so uh, I just want to kind of acknowledge and give him credit for that. And a quick add on while we were recording, got a Jared Vanderbilt update. You guys will probably see this by the time it comes, it comes out. It's, it's not revelatory in, in like a timetable, but he has been cleared uh, to begin a, a return to pro, a play progression. So Riggs it's, it's getting closer. Yeah, it's getting closer. As, as you hear, Riggs, Riggs heard that update and started decided to, to scream in the background. So shout out there. But yes, it, it's getting getting closer. And I, I'm sure we'll have more time to talk about the implications of that in the coming pod. Hey, breaking news here on the on the LFR pod. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. One last thought on Cam, though, is uh, sometimes putting guys into a more structured type of environment is exactly what they need. And even the preseason was not that in a lot of ways, but he has a very clearly defined role, I think, uh, to start the season. And it's really cool to see him hitting his stride. So, all right, we will be back either tomorrow or on Wednesday. We'll, we will see. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.